and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 51. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hey! Today we'll be discussing the seventh episode of season three. Thanks for sharing. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of thanks for sharing. Moya and Talon are hidden in a planet's atmosphere as the crew searches desperately for a medication that will increase Talon's healing. However, after an assault on Chiana, the crew is forced to get involved with local politics, leading to a truth-telling crab, a PK special ops spy, and the double Johns playing the oldest twin game in the book. Thanks for sharing is like the drugstore stop that has gone really wrong. So all they want to do is get Chromexin, which is the Leviathan equivalent of like Ensure because it has like calories in it and also medication that Talon needs after he was beat all the hell after, as we saw on Aaron's storyline from last episode. And instead of things going smooth, as Mal Reynolds would say, almost as soon as they've begun, things go south. And the tone of this episode actually really reminded me of Beware of Dog in that it's like the crew during their doing their crew thing against another enemy and by and large being kind of one of the the smaller more run of the mill episodes instead of you know big huge things going on even though there are a few large things going on <laughs> yeah i definitely agree there's this is one of those episodes that if you remember it, it's because you really liked one or two things about it. But all in all, it's not going to be a super memorable episode because it pretty much is, you know, it's it's like a lot of episodes where they go down to a planet for one thing. It clearly has very little relevance to the overall arc of the season. But at the same time, it's a fun episode, mm-hmm. you know, IET or... Um, it, it, rem- it is kind of really remnant of Beware of Dog or, or maybe even early season one episodes where they're fun yeah. one-offs, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, though, they're setting up a huge arc that is coming because last episode in Eat Me, we had the two Johns. The John mm-hmm. got doubled, twinned, equal and original. So now there's two Johns. And this episode is setting up what will happen with the two of them going forward through the rest of season three. And in that way, it's that's its major purpose as a as an episode, right? It's yeah. to set up this coming arc. Yeah, it actually sets up a couple of coming arcs because we also have the Aaron thing, which we'll get mm-hmm. into. But in between the show figuring out what it's going to do with the two Johns that it now has, and you know, Aaron begins to have a new arc, you know, and Crace is back for good for mm-hmm. a while. Crace you know, and Talon. Crace and Talon. Yeah. So. It is a it is a st- plot wise, the episode is pretty straightforward. But in terms of the arc of the season, it does set up a lot of things. I think what I meant was more just that them going to a planet for medication isn't the same as like them breaking into you know yeah. the, the <laughs> gamic base at the end of season yeah. um at the end of season two. two. Yeah. Oh, season one. one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of their other big, large set piece with the, the Shadow yeah, Depository the Shadow season two. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's why I said it reminds me of Beware of Dog, because there is this kind of everyday life, you know, problem solving feeling to it when you get into the actual, the, the episode arc, mm-hmm. which is they go to the planet, they need Chromexton, they get into trouble or Shiana gets into trouble because she's just hit on. And it's not her fault, by the way, which she is very clearly, <laughs> clearly <laughs> states. And that's kind of where the episodes begin. So maybe we should, we should go ahead and dive into everything. Yeah. So they're at a bar, which is where Shiana gets hit on by this young, not especially handsome, but he's probably supposed to be handsome, arrogant lordling person. And meanwhile, Rigel is negotiating from Comexin from a buy or from a seller. Of course, they think Chiana's the new whore, and so they want to uh, hit on her and, was it, drop some food down the front of her sh- shirt so that he can pick mm-hmm. it out with some chopsticks? And then Chiana says, I didn't come here looking for trouble. And she's looking over the guy's shoulder. And who is there but Dargo with his Qualta <laughs> blade, who then, you know, beats the crap out of these two guys. And of course, it was the wrong guy to beat the crap out of because it is the son of the ruler of the planet. Mm-hmm. And 
problems ensue from there. Now no one's going to sell to them because they need their approval to export. And they really, really need this Chromexton because Talon is in really bad shape. Yeah, Talon's really, really in bad shape. Yeah, I fe- you have to feel for Chiana here because she really wasn't. This was not one of the times when she was like hitting on the wrong person or trying to get intel out of the wrong person or making bad life choices. This is a Chiana that literally was going to the buffet and then some guy is like holding her arms. Like she tries to get away and they're like holding her arms. And mm-hmm. you have to appreciate that Farscape really isn't like, oh, well, if Chiana hadn't been dressing like that, that Farscape is pretty clear that, like, nah, this guy is like an assaulty, rapey bastard. Yeah. And it's good to know that misogyny is alive and well across the universe. <laughs> so now no one will sell to them. And so at first, Rigel tries to go and fix it with the ruler of the planet, which is when we find out that the local politics are a little more complicated. There's one ruler who has united the whole planet, like all these warring tribes that had been at war for a really long time. And his name is Rennick something. But he has two children. He has the rapey mustachioed jerk, whose (laughs) name is Talvin. And he has a daughter who seems a little bit more peaceful and a little bit more level-headed, and her name is a Sarova. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, Sarova is not the favored child, pretty clearly. So that leads to, like, wacky shenanigans. <laughs> and by wacky shenanigans, we mean that Tolvin is the one who starts firing Percussion grenades. air missile. Yeah, concussion grenades, surface-to-air missiles that are floating in the atmosphere. So they're not actually firing at Moya and Talon. They're just firing next to them so that they're shaking from the shockwaves. And Talon is in such bad shape. Like, he is near unconscious. Crace has been rescued by Aaron at the end of Eat Me last episode. And T- Jewel is taking care of him in the in the medical bay, trying her best. And he is in terrible shape. And they cannot take this barrage of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So we have two Johns, right? And uh, and I, I want to play this first clip because this is splits the Johns up and it gets everything going. And basically, John Crichton is not happy to have another John Crichton to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not as bad as the last time. It's not the Cro-Mangan copy or the Alien Nation reject, but you can tell I'm the original, right? Wrong. I'm the original. Try again, pal. Have you been messing with my stuff? That's my stuff. And you are the clone. Aaron, you can tell You me. can see the difference. No, I, I can't. Right. Here. You wear that, so I can tell the two of you apart. Wait, why do I have to wear it? Because you're closer. I want to help you sort this all out, but we have bigger problems right now. Talon is dying. But Pilot thinks the Chromexon will fix Talon up, right? If Dargo can find it on the planet. You should have gone down with him. Screw you. I'm not going to leave Kreis alone on Moya. He is comatose and locked in a medical stabilizer. He does not need guarding from either of you. I don't trust him. And what if he's lying? Fine. You, go and keep an eye on Crace, and you, go to Talon and help Stark. Excuse me, why me? (laughs) (laughs) I love that little tag at the end of like, why me? (sighs) Well, okay, I have to point this out, though. What she does when when they're like, hey, why do I have to wear it? It's She hands him a gray shirt. So now we have black shirt John and gray shirt John. And I want to point this out. That is a gray shirt that we have literally never seen on this entire (laughs) show ever. I'm like, where did that gray shirt come from? (laughs) He wears it on the days that we don't see the episodes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Blackshirt John goes over to Talon where Stark is helping, basically trying to uh, help Talon out and monitor his systems. And then Grayshirt John stays on Moya where Crace is to keep an eye on Crace, who is currently unconscious. Aaron is totally right. They don't need to worry about Crace right now. He is in bad shape yeah Chris is unconscious but i do want to point out that he is actually not that helpless because jewel is jewel is fixing him up you know which is again so when we lost zan zan's kind of character archetype was split in two and now you have jewel who's the doctor and unlike dr mccoy who's constantly like i'm not a geologist jim jewel is essentially (laughs) like i'm not really a doctor guys (laughs) 
And John's like, wait, don't you have like 10 medical degrees? And she's like, well, I have. And she like names off all of her medical degrees. And she's like. But they're really like biology degrees rather than actual medical practice. Yeah. She's definitely not like a doctor doctor. She's like professor doctor. (laughs) You know. So Jewel is fixing up Crace. And the thing is, is. John that was like so worried about Crace he literally goes in glances at Crace and then is like all right so actually what I really want you to do is run a DNA test (laughs) between me and the other John to determine once and for all that I not the other one and the original and talk about like the setting up a study design to try and bias your results in your favor (laughs) right oh yeah because he's bribing her with Rigel's cake because apparently Joel has a sweet tooth. It's hilarious. So then Crace wakes up. So then John leaves. And I'm like, John, I thought the whole point was to like hang around and watch Crace like a giant creepy stalker as he's asleep. Mm-hmm. Like the while you were sleeping version of John Crichton. <laughs> anyway, so John like, but then Crace wakes up and he like grabs Jewel by the neck. He's completely disoriented. Yeah. And also because he doesn't know her. Like, you know, if it had maybe been Zan, he probably would have at least recognized where he was. But, you know, he doesn't know Jewel. Yeah. yeah. So Jewel screams and John comes running back in. Okay. The other thing I wanted to make a quick mention. Yeah. We've been getting a lot of feedback on Twitter that apparently Crace Jewel is like a huge Farscape ship for some people. And I'm like, I want to point out this actually is pretty typical for like a typical TV couple that they like meet and one stabs the other <laughs> to get him to stop strangling her. <laughs> yeah. Well, give us the, what their interaction in, in like towards the end of the season, I could totally see, see the crazy jewel thing, like see where it comes from anyway. Yeah. So, so jewel is screaming her metal bending scream and John runs back in and Crace is recognizes John, even though he has a gun pointed at him and everything gets calmed down. So then the concussion grenades start and everyone's rocking around. They don't know what's going on really, except that they're being being blasted. And this is when the John that's on Talon has an idea and our, and the John that goes, God, this is so confusing to talk about. And the John that is on Moya, Moya John, runs to command and is like, can't see anything because they're in this really hazy part of the atmosphere that is protecting them from detection from space where we learn from Crace through a conversation that he has with Aaron at a later point that there's peacekeepers after them because mm-hmm. peacekeepers are the ones that shot up Talon and caused them to be nearly dying right now. So they bring the two ships down into the into the regular atmosphere and ship John and and Talon John, Moya John and Talon John, they both have the same idea kind of at the same time. And it's really a contrast to how they were earlier in the episode, where they were kind of like, I'm me, no, I'm me. And this time they're both working completely in sync. So Mm -hmm. they essentially get Crace, who's like, Talon is on life support, Talon is dead, but he has just this bare margin of control. And so they managed to point Talon's major cannon at the city center where essentially and it and it just so happens out of pure luck that that is where the royal whatever the the leading family that's where yeah. literally where they are so the sun is like keep you know keep throwing concussion grenades at them and or concussion missiles or whatever it is and then talon appears outside their window with a giant weapon pointed at them <laughs> and john sends a message to them that's like hey we just came what is going on? We will blow you out of the water. We just blew up a shadow depository a few months ago. Like, we mm-hmm. will kill you if you don't stop this. Yeah. And and the reputation is known on the planet, too. I mean, that's one of the things that comes up a little bit in that next conversation, because the, the ruler says, okay, you have to come talk to me face to face. And John's like, can't we just do this over the phone? And they're like, no. So, okay, this is one of my favorite things. John swaggering in in his long coat and leather pants. That was really working for me today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll go for that. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a clever John. This is the John that's real smart. And the John where I, I just like that both gray shirt and black shirt John essentially put aside their differences for a moment and immediately start working together. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and I want to clarify that the reason... I understand that we have seen John in a gray shirt before, 
The gray shirt that they use in this episode is like a button-up shirt. And that's what gets me, is he usually only wears like Henley t-shirts. And I'm like... Is it a button-up shirt? It's got buttons on it. That's what threw me off. Just the front part? Yeah, just it's like that little, those like collar buttons that goes like halfway okay. down his chest, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. But he that's Moya John. He's still up on the ship at yeah. this point. Right, okay, yeah. So this is, sorry, this is so confusing. So Talon John has gone down to negotiate for, basically they say we need the Kermexton. And he's like, we have money. We want to give you money. Why are you making it hard for us to, to do it? And, and and basically the the planetary rulers are like all suspicious because their reputation has preceded them. And they're like, are you hired here to destabilize our country? Are you doing all this, this, and this, and this? And basically all they can think is the political situation. And John is like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And so that's when the guards grab him and take him over to the fish tank and they put on the lobster, mm-hmm. the giant truth-telling crab, which, you know, <laughs> you got to give Farscape props for being really weird. I mean, this is like an industrial kind of planet they're on. It's a little Blade Runner. It's got mm-hmm. rain all every- everywhere. It's concrete walls, cinder blocks. It's very modern inside the bar, very sleek lines. And and then their truth serum is a, is a lobster-like thing with like six claws and it's trained to kill you if you lie because it's reading your brain waves and it's just the most ridiculous thing yeah i mean okay like a little ridiculous but also <laughs> it's really ridiculous okay it's, it's really <laughs> ridiculous but i love it i think this is the only thing i remember from the entire episode is the truth-telling lobster thing and also mm-hmm. it's it's such a good Chekhov's gun because it's introduced as it will kill you if you lie you know right mm-hmm. so that means clearly it's gonna have somebody is gonna lie and get killed you know yep. and at first there is kind of this element of is it gonna kill our John because then that would take care of the twinning problem but I mean Farscape obviously isn't gonna go that easy on our main character poor John Crichton Mm-mm. So he makes it through the truth-telling shenanigans, and he actually is very clever about it because they're like, "Well, what do you need the Kremexton for?" And instead of being like, "Well, it's you know our gunship is down," <laughs> he's like, "Nothing that will affect you." Or at first, yeah. he, first he answers, "None of your business," and the lobster is kind of like iffy on that, and then so. And then so John clarifies, and he goes, "Nothing that will affect you." Yeah. Yeah, which is good. And it avoids one of the classic pitfalls of fiction where you explain everything to anyone that's come along. Mm-hmm. Drives me nuts in fanfic where there's just like, oh, I just met you. Let me explain my entire life history. That is like the summary of the entire TV show. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very gratifying when John is just like, no, you don't get to know this. It's <laughs> our business. We just need it. We want to give you piles of money. Leave us alone. Yeah. John Crichton is no Constable Benton Fraser. <laughs> Um, so I, I want to go back for a second because the main plot kind of is, is pretty straightforward from here because the, the two children, Talvin and Sarova are clearly vying for power under their father. And you can tell that Talvin is hot headed, greedy. I mean, we saw that with Chiana that he takes what he wants and Sarova is the one that's kind of like a little more level-headed, a little more playing chess with politics. So they have, you know, they're kind of political bickering and that's kind of what the rest of the planet episode is about. So I want to go back to the ship for a minute because we're going to introduce an Aaron plotline that becomes important to both this episode and the rest of the season. And so Chris is now awake and Aaron is watching him in air quotes And she immediately, we go back to that feeling we had at the end of last season where she really was just much more sympathetic to Grace than anybody else was willing to be, which I don't know, I think it says a lot about her character. And I think it says a lot about her relationship, her continued relationship with peacekeepers, like we saw in the episode where they went back in time, you know, Mm -hmm. that she does have this complicated relationship with peacekeepers. 
Yeah. And especially with Crace, who has also left the Peacekeepers, you know, season one was her leaving and her growth and what she learned being away from the Peacekeepers. And season two, Crace is now free of the Peacekeepers, and he's kind of gone through that that growing away from them as well. So they have this shared experience. I mean, obviously, they weren't together and they didn't go through the same things, but there's this this shared we left the Peacekeepers kind of mentality that they have that gives them this extra connection. Mm hmm. Yeah, for certain. So at the end of last season, before Aaron died, we remember that Chris had said something along the lines of, you know, she would have been the happiest of us all, and he had this chip in his hand, and then we never found out what it was. This is when that comes back, because he he wakes up, and then he says, okay, Talon hacked into the Peacekeeper databases. We found this in your service record. Aaron, wake up. Don't be afraid. My name is Zalak Sun. I'm your mother. But you mustn't reveal to anyone that I was here, do you understand? I came to tell you something. Erin, your life was not an accident. And it wasn't an assigned birthing to fill the ranks. Talon, that's your father's name. He and I chose to have you. You were conceived in love. Our love. I wanted you to know this. It makes you special. We wanted you. And we love you. Go back to sleep now. So playing the recording, it opens onto a barracks where lots of kids are sleeping. And that's, as we heard, Aaron's mom coming to visit her, which is the story that Aaron told John way back in Family Ties at the end of season one and why she names Talon Talon after her father because she heard his name from her mother during this incident. So that's one of those cases where where we really take this continuity of the show and this universe and how it holds together and really really get to see the the writers of the show explore all these little tidbits that they've kind of left out there. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say baby Erin in this, she's like five or six years old, super cute. The actress they got was super cute. Yeah. Very cute. I, I like that you mentioned continuity here because I think that that's one of the strengths of Farscape overall is that there are a lot of shows that have continuity, but they don't tend to be shows like this. You know, then you're looking at your HBO shows, you know, like your Deadwood, The Wire, stuff like that, where it's everything relates, but that's because they're all really compressed seasons and it's all considered like prestige dramas, which I think a lot of people will argue that Farscape is as good as prestige dramas. I will fight you over that, that it is incredibly, <laughs> that it is exactly as good as a lot of prestige dramas. But this is a sci-fi show that was running on the sci-fi network. This is like your, your Stargates, you know, <laughs> that you're, you're not really expecting a lot of continuity from it. So mm -hmm. when we get these callbacks, when we understand that the writers have been paying attention to things that went on on screen, it really makes a difference. Yeah. And it gives such a depth to the characters here because we have this like one little grace note that we had from Aaron back in season one about who she is and what drives her and, and why she listened to John when he said you can be more. And then you have her mother coming back into the storyline. And that's another big current for Aaron to, to work with as she grows as a person and a character throughout the season. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm a huge fan of this whole plot line because I think that this adds like another dimension to Aaron splitting from the peacekeepers, you know, now this like ongoing confrontation with her mother. But I also don't really know how I feel about it because I think that my issue with it is that at the beginning of Aaron's arc, John looked at her and he was like, you can be more. And then she kind of grew from that and she kind of changed herself. And yeah, we saw hints that she was a little different than most peacekeepers in, you know, the way we weren't and in the couple other episodes we've had where she's had to confront her PK past. But 
I just don't know how I feel about it being like, well, you were special because you were born special. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. It's like adding that little extra bit of destiny to it. Yeah. Her fate was predetermined because her mother loved her and her father loved her at the beginning. That said, however, I do like it still because I like it more for what it brings to this whole retrieval squad plot so part of this conversation that aaron has with Crace at this point is that the pks the peacekeepers who are after them are what's called a retrieval squad and they want to get talon back because remember talon is an investment by pk high command to have a leviathan gunship and yes it was Crace's pet project but he was working for the peacekeepers and they want their ship back what they consider to be their ship and from a psychological analysis point of view of high command they're like okay what is the one way that we can get Crace and his known associates and punish all of them as much as possible? And that is, as Crace reveals, to have Zalek's son, Aaron's mother, be the head of the retrieval team. Mm-hmm. So you're pitting Aaron's loyalties to her her new crew versus her loyalties to her mother. And I guess the question that, that arises out of that is, will she be able to kill this woman who she met as a child who said she loved her? Or will she be able to dissociate from her? Does it matter? Like, what are those ties there? And it makes it as complicated and as damaging as possible for everybody involved. And then what are Crace's loyalty to it, too? You know, will Mm. Crace kill Zalix for Eren or or not? So it's, I like that aspect of who this who the retrieval specialist is. And it is very soap opera. Like, don't get me wrong. It is completely OTT soap opera, but I still kind of like it. Oh, and that actually reminds me a little bit. (laughs) Chris didn't know Aaron was alive. So when he like wakes up... You've gotten so used to it over the past several episodes. Yeah. He like wakes up and he's like, Aaron soon alive, but how? And no one really wants to say like, well, Zan killed herself to save Aaron. The other weird thing is that I'm like, so Crace actually like even this early on was like still really into Aaron, like Mm -hmm. as like a romantic person, because that means he's literally just carrying around this chip with her mother and her as a kid on it, like in his just regular pockets when he doesn't even know he's going to meet her. Yeah, well, I still think that's so clear from the end of Daimi Dichotomy when she does die and and he is so broken up about her death, too. You know, he yeah. has been grieving for her this whole time, keeping little bits of her to himself. God, that's creepy. I mean, actually, yeah. it's not super creepy. I mean, people do that. But at the same time, I don't know. It's Crace. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's half soap opera, half Shakespearean almost to have her mom come after her because as much as this show does a lot of things about with dads and it has like mostly with John and his dad, that's kind of, and then Dargo and his son. And then that's kind of like the father son thing. And in fact, TV in general tends to do much more like dads and sons or dads and daughters. I think that is interesting to kind of have Aaron's mother playing that same role, you know, that I love it. Yeah. And you can, you know, when Aaron called her like grizzled and, you know, she was like a war vet, you know, it, it isn't wrong here. The actress that's playing Zalek Soon is really good at kind of getting at that heart of who Zalek Soon is. Like she's a peacekeeper and a mother, but almost a peacekeeper first. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. And, you know, remember when, in Family Ties when she's telling the story to John, John assumes it's her father because she Aaron doesn't gender them originally but then it's like no it was my mother Mm -hmm. yeah so getting back to the main plot line for a moment the john that's on the planet meets with saravia they get ambushed by like this i don't know what's clearly like a gelatin (laughs) mixture rolling down a wall (laughs) it's great it's another one of those you gotta be kidding me but i guess it's cheap sci-fi tricks i don't know so yeah they're in um saravia's bar because she owns one down the street from the other bar alone and it's like after hours it's late they're having this long involved conversation about why saravia wants john's help with the political situation and john is like i don't care we just want the chromexton and you see this ominous red hands pushing pushing this uh this gelatin it's red through the grate and then it starts moving on its own and it's like walking oobleck or something and then there's a blue one that comes and you watch them get closer and closer together while this conversation is going on 
until they come together and they explode. And it's a big dramatic moment of explosions. Yep. Because they replayed the clip like three times to make sure you really understood that it was an explosion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like multiple angles on this explosion. Well, because the explosion looked real. It was not CGI. So they probably were like, this is where all the money in our episode is going. We have to make it look good. (laughs) One thing I learned from leverage commentaries from with John Rogers is, you know, they always film real explosions from multiple angles so you can get all the shots and then put as many of them as you can together. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's an explosion. And then Sarova tells John, you have to get out of here because, you know, we can't be seen meeting together because then that would meeting never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So Dargo and Shiana whisk John away to Moya and, and he's lost a lot of blood. So I want to, he had a, like a metal pole of debris go through his leg. So it's like his leg artery has been Mm -hmm. in bad shape. Yeah. So they get back to Moya and Jewel is treating him. And I want to kind of play that. Salvato, he's bleeding. You have a keen grasp of the obvious. Help him. Help him. (gasps) How is he? Don't know yet. You're doing fine. You're right. I could be killing him for all you know. A major artery's been cut. He's lost a lot of blood. Well, then replace it. You're similar species. Are you clipped? Even within my species, the subtypes have to match. My blood is donor incompatible. Take mine. Really? Yeah, no, he's an ugly, loud-mouthed son of a bitch, but I can't stand around and watch him die. It'd be better for both of us if you did. Yeah, no. No, shut up. So what's it called when you have two bodies and you can't let the other one die? Is that like preventing a suicide or something? <laughs> I don't know. I like really like Jewel here for a minute because, you know, she is in this... She just woke up, what, two episodes ago? Mm-hmm. She's still getting used to the crew. The crew is still getting used to her. And just because she's the one bragging about having an education, they're like, great, you could be the doctor. And <laughs> it's like me being a doctor. Like, like, yeah, I watch TV. I kind of know what you've done. I've done a couple first aid courses. I am not a doctor. You don't want me <laughs> operating on a leg that's been, <laughs> been slashed open by debris from an explosion and having to treat someone with head trauma and all this stuff. So poor Jewel, I kind of really feel for her and I kind of love that they don't have a proper doctor Mm -hmm. that they do have to make do with what they have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's exactly that same thing with Aaron in the first episode where, you know, they're kind of like, okay, you know something about piloting? Fine. You can pilot, you know? (laughs) And it's, they're definitely a crew of, you can do this one thing that kind of is related. You do the thing that's kind of related. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I like about Jewel is it's so funny when she's like, you don't know. I could be killing him for all you know. And Dargo gives her this look of like, are you killing him? (laughs) Uh, So good. Yeah, Jewel is growing on me. I think that maybe the first time around, the reason I hated her so much was because she was a replacement. She was the replacement for Zan. And Mm -hmm. that was just hard. Zan, I miss. It's it's always hard. And I find with shows that do this, like it's always hard on the first watch through to kind of get into that place of accepting them. Mm -hmm. But then on second watch, once you know what's going to happen and and who they are a little bit better from the beginning of it, it's it's a lot easier. Like I had that same experience when Tara came on in Leverage when Sophie had to leave for half a season. You know, I was like really resented her for the first several episodes that she was on. And but then on rewatch, it's fine. So the same kind of thing with Jewel. <laughs> That's so funny. That was the one I was going to use, too. I was going to use leverage. Because <laughs> yeah, the first time around, you're like, who are you? I hate you. Why do you want money? You're st- I, you're stinky and ugly. I hate you. <laughs> and then the second time around, you're like, oh, OK, I can dig it. Yeah. You're okay, Tara. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we like you. Yeah. Well, and actually that's, I, I know that's a lot of people's feelings about Rigel too, because on first watch through, he's not terribly likable. And it really is only after you've seen it a second time that you really begin to like him from the beginning as, and not just towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So then you have John coming in to save himself. And I just love their back and forth with each other because, you know, we heard it in the bickering at the beginning and you hear it now. The tone has changed. Like they're not sniping and angry at each other. They're like, oh, you're like my brother that I don't like, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, he, I know he's a sorry ass, but we're going to save him anyway, even though it would solve their problems to have one of them again. Except it turns out in the fallout of the explosion, it's actually really handy to have two Johns mm-hmm. because the next bit of the plot that happens is there. The planet people are investigating the explosion because Saravia is obviously injured. And this one of the spies for Talvo, the brother, says, oh, you were conspiring with John Crichton. I have a witness that saw you there. And now they have been called into account. And the shipment of the Kromexin is at stake. And so John from Moya, the one who's wearing the gray shirt, goes down to the planet and pretends like nothing happened. Nothing mm-hmm. was wrong. I was just, we were waiting on our shipment where everything's great. What happened to you? I didn't know that you got hurt. What happened mm-hmm. when he sees Saravia? And of course, Talvo, Talvo, right? That's yeah, his name? Tal- I'm having, okay. Talvo, I think. Okay. Sorry, I just had a break. Or Talvin. Talvin. Okay. Okay. We've been calling him Talvo, but it's Talvin, I think. But he immediately starts accusing John of being a conspirator with Saravia. And this is when John is like, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny, though, is he kind of starts down that path, but then he immediately is like, you know what? I don't even care about this. And he immediately, he goes and he gets the crab and he like puts it on his own head. And he's like, was I at the bar with Sarova? And of course, the crab is like, and he was like, no, I was not at the bar with Sarova. And like the crab is like, yeah, he wasn't at the bar. <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, you know, but even, you know, that true, true. But that actually does point out the flaw in the crab, which is that you can tell something that is almost true, but not like true, true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a classic twin plot, right? Where you have your double go in to be your alibi, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or the um what was that movie with the christian bale oh the prestige yeah it's like the prestige you know where you have one person doing one thing and the other doing the other and it looks kind of like magic and that's what's going on here Mm -hmm. so they have the shipment of cremexton that comes up to the ships and one quick note we kind of skipped over this part but before john meets with saravia they have found out that there's the supply of cremexton is very small and they would have to go to like 10 different places. They need 10 different suppliers basically to get the amount that they need for Talon. And one of my favorite little lines from Chiana that we didn't clip, but it's great. It's just like, why don't we just get the guns and rob them? And then Dargo replies, because then we'd have to make 10 robberies. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Chiana's like, yeah, and? <laughs> your, your problem with that is, and I think Dargo is thinking, gosh, we have problems with doing one robbery at a time. <laughs> Right. So the point there, though, is that the supply is small. And so they just have the first shipment come up of they need six units of it. uh, And I can't remember what the units are called, but six tons, let's say. And they've got the first two that come up. And so Chiana and Jewel have started. They're on Talon now and they've started spreading the the Kremexton around on all the conduits and stuff. And Krace is there. And then Krace starts screaming because it's been poisoned. Mm And they have a contaminated batch of this Cremexton stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not good for Talon. It's not good for the crew. It's Everyone is really, really upset by it. And what we have Talon John, who is on Moya right now, mm-hmm. or black-shirted, I guess I should call him black-shirted John, who is on Moya right now. He's like, okay, can Moya filter it out like she did for Aaron when she was sick? So Moya is obviously like five times larger than her son and has the body mass to basically have her liver or whatever her liver equivalent is process the contaminant Mm -hmm. so he can have the filtered stuff. And so then black-shirted John and Aaron go over to Talon to help out with taking care of him. Meanwhile, on the planet, we have one of the greatest confrontations of all time. This is like right up there in my Farscape best moments <laughs> where John in the gray shirt is super pissed off and he has a gun and Dargo's there. So I'm just going to play it. You've been screwing me from the beginning. Uh-huh. I don't think so. Screwing everybody, screwing your sister. You've been lying to your daddy, boy, and you know you shouldn't lie to your daddy. 
It's gonna stop. Who's your daddy? Come on, you know who your daddy is. Who's your daddy? Dargo, tell him who his daddy is. I'm your daddy. That's right. We're gonna start telling the truth. Prosecution calls Mr. Rennick Jr. to the stand. If you remember anything from this episode, if you've seen it before, that's the other thing you remember, is Dargo getting to say, I'm your daddy. What I love... Uh, okay, I love so many things about this. I love that the implication is that at some point, John has taught Dargo the who's your daddy bit. <laughs> I love that they literally sound like this is almost rehearsed. They're so in sync. This is like the, this is your top tier buddy. Like we are in so in sync that we could talk to each other and not even have to talk to each other thing. Oh, I love it. It's so great. It's so I don't know. It's just so over the top. It's so amazing. And it's so unexpected, too. Like, the first time you watch it, you are not expecting Dargo to be right on the ball with this. But he is. And it's so on point. And it's so buddy cop. And as you said, perfectly in sync. And I just love it when John and Dargo are perfectly in sync like this. (laughs) Well, it's such a contrast. Okay, so we go back from last season. And I know I keep going back to the end of season two. But it really is important that season two ended on Dargo and John not being in a good place friendship wise, you know, they've built up this friendship for a season and a half. And then the end of season two is like, we're not friends, we're not going to be friends again. And then now we're back to that place where they're almost beyond that they're way back now into the we can talk about girl problems together. You know, we have each other's backs, we're going to do one line, you know, we're going to do one liners for each other. (laughs) It's amazing. It really is. Tell him who his daddy is. (laughs) <laughs> so good like i could listen to that all day oh man so, so good. as you heard at the end of that clip john gets the crab and puts it on talvin's head and his father is right there saravia is somewhere else i think at this point and he's like trying to force the truth out of talvin he wants to hear whether or not talvin poisoned the cremexton and talvin didn't he tells the truth he's like i was not involved in that it was not me who who poisoned it and so he is not the culprit that they think he is but then john says kind of offhand you're just a a loyal son aren't you and yeah, he's like you're just daddy's loyal little boy aren't you or something yeah, like that yeah something like that and then and then that's when the crab starts to get agitated and so oh here's where he's going to be caught and then his father the the leader of the planet is like well are you loyal And he can't answer it. And then finally he says, yes. And then he dies from the crab stingray of death that goes into his forehead. And it's the dramatic end of Talvin and the the culmination of the the crab playing its role as truth detector. Mm Mm-hmm. And like we said, you know, as soon as you introduce the Chekhov's gun of a crab that kills people when they lie, (laughs) it's going to kill somebody when they lie. Yeah. And it is kind of satisfying that Talvin gets his comeuppance because he's been such a jerk and he's the one who started this mess in the first place. And so he's reaping the benefits, the reaping, the whirlwind, reaping what he sowed, you know, all those, Mm -hmm. all those things of his dickish behavior. Karma. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely got karma coming to him. So the other thing that I want to bring up kind of because as we get to the end of the as we get to the end of the episode, a lot of plots come together very, very quickly is that Aaron, like we said, essentially for two seasons now, everybody has been constantly accusing Aaron of being too soft on Crace, which I would argue that the end of season one proved that she has not too soft on Crace. I think she just has a different perspective on it than everybody else. So I want to play a clip between Aaron and the black-shirted John, the one that's still on Moya, the one that was injured in the explosion. How are you doing? Jill did good. I'm all right. Well, Rigel and Tiana have just delivered a partial load of Cromex into Talon, and that may boost his Kelvo levels enough to bring him out of his paralysis. So what's next? Well, now, Crace will divert all of Talon's energies into restoring Starburst. Meaning he plans the ditch? He is protecting Talon. Yeah, he keeps saying that. Well, you know, he has saved our lives. He did kill Scorpius. I, I don't know what it's going to take for you to trust him. So, you trust him? 
Well, whether or not I trust him, this time I do believe him. I don't know. Why do you think that Aaron trusts Grace so much? I have no idea. Like, I don't know. I think for her, it's more of an instinctual thing at this point where where she hears what Grace is saying and he's talking about Talon. He does have Talon's interests at heart, whether his, they're his best interests or not, is kind of up for debate. I mean, John Crichton would certainly argue that they weren't in, in Talon's best interests. But I think I think it goes back to that connection that they feel, or at least the the shared exile from the peacekeepers. They are the PK diaspora, right? You know, mm-hmm. they have also in common. Basically, <laughs> it goes back to the custody arrangement, right? They have Talon in common, and they both mm-hmm. care about Talon. And it's the the two co parents who they're not married. They don't have a, a or like a romantic relationship with each other, but they do have a relationship through their shared their shared child Mm -hmm. and and i think those things combined with in this episode grace sharing with aaron the story about her mother that her revealing that her mother is the one who is after them with the retrieval squad doing that kind of background research i don't know gives him a little credence to to what he says about how important this is and and things like that so i don't know Mm mm-hmm I don't know. It's it's harder for me. I think I'm more on John's John's side with this. And like remember when I was first watched the series, I was like, Don't trust Grace. Don't ever trust Grace. Yeah. I mean not without not without reason. I mean, look, when they trusted him at the end of, of season one, he kidnapped a baby. Mm-hmm. So we I mean, yeah, he's not like a super trustworthy guy. I guess I think I don't know. I mean, taking Aaron's words at face value, I think that Aaron really is a person who sees actions speak more than words. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is, I think one of the struggles that she and John have in their relationship, which is that John really is all about verbalization and John really is all about talking things out, Mm -hmm. you know, like John never met a problem. He couldn't talk his way out of or try to and (laughs) or try to. Yeah. And on the other hand, Aaron is guns blazing a hundred percent of the time. I mean, look at their, Look at their two different plans in the episode where they went back in time a couple episodes ago where her plan is guns blazing and his plan is talk it out, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that Aaron really is looking kind of at Crace's look what Crace has done. Crace saved them in the shadow depository. Crace gave her this information about her mom. I mean, I guess you could say that was kind of to manipulate her to go aboard Talon, but on the other hand, if he was going to do it before he needed somebody aboard Talon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It's People are complicated, and I think this is one of those those relationships that really shows that. You know, like, mm-hmm. there are things that tie us together that sometimes we ourselves don't even understand, you know? So yeah. this is one of those where where I like that it feels so hard to understand, like, you know, that person that you don't know why they're with this, with her friends with somebody that you would think no one should ever be friends with, but they are, they see something in that person that no one else does mm-hmm. or they have that connection that no one else has with them. And, and I think that's kind of what's going on here. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Aaron and Crace and John is going to be complicated. We'll get a lot more into it in next episode, but I have feelings about that. <laughs> um, so the so John and Dargo have kind of accidentally killed the leader of the planet's son. And so the he kicks them off. He's like, okay, go away. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to, that's fine. We'll go away. So they go away. And then Sarova comes in and is like, what happened to my brother? And the dad's like, he's dead. And she's like, oh, okay. And she rips off his breathing tube and kills his guard. Yeah. Well, she wants retribution for it. And that's, and when he denies her that, that's when she, she, she pulls off his breathing tube and then she activates the air defense to start sending surface to air missiles or concussion grenades back at Moya and Talon. So they got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And so they really quickly, some things happen, which is that Aaron takes all of her worldly possessions in a big duffel bag and black shirt. John is the only one that sees her do that. So black shirt, John also gets his, his belongings and goes with her. And she's like, 
And essentially she tells him, you know, we're not coming back. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I figured that one out. You've got everything you own in this bag. Right. And they're taking it to Talon. And the reason that they're worried about not being able to come back to Moya is because there's the retrieval squad waiting for them. And now that they have to leave so abruptly, like there's going to be no time for going back and forth in a pod. They're just going to have to starburst immediately as soon as they leave the atmosphere of this planet, which is mm-hmm. essentially what happens. And and part of that is that they're con- they're concerned that the retrieval squad will hold Moya hostage. Yeah. If so, that Talon will give himself up because we've seen that Moya obviously loves her son and she's clearly willing to do anything for him because even now they're like, you know, get rid of the get rid of the umbilical cords so that he can we can starburst. And Moya's like, heck no, my son is in too, in too much pain. He needs my nutrients too much. And so Talon is the one that has to cut them. Mm-hmm. So black shirted John and Aaron go aboard aboard Talon where where Stark and Rigel, I guess because Rigel was spreading around the stuff. He was spreading around the Chromexin. Rigel is small enough to fit between the inner and outer hulls. And so that's where Chiana shoved him. And so So, when Chiana came back over to Moya to help filter the Chromexin with Jewel, Rigel stayed aboard Talon for whatever reason. Probably laziness or something. (laughs) I don't know. Then Moya, John, and Dargo get back to Moya. And now we have basically two crews on two ships and they both starburst out of there okay and so now i want to point out something that i'm sure it was obvious to everybody else but it actually took me until this viewing to figure it out so in the in the refreshment house explosion it ends on sarova she's on the ground she's bleeding she looks up at somebody and she's like have you come to kill me brother and initially you're supposed to assume that like no he wasn't there to kill her because she he sh- she shows up again in the next scene that he like saved her but now you realize that it was actually the assassin and the assassin did kill her in that moment got rid of her body and then the assassin has like some sort of you know body duplicating it's like Mystique. He's yeah. a shapeshifter. And so the shapeshifter was pretending to be her up until the end of the episode. And it took me a little bit of time to figure that out because initially I was like, wait, was he her the whole time? Like, what's going on? And then you're like, oh, no, wait. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I missed the bit where he was posing as Talvin when he, after the explosion when she is lying there on the ground. So you see this really grotesque transformation as she... He, it, it transforms from Saravia, who he's p- posing as back into his normal red normal self, red self, his big giant, giant head, kind of like an alien alien mm-hmm. from the movie Alien, but red and talking and not quite as articulated joints, you know, humanoid. Yeah. And so then Zalek soon shows up. And it turns out that this was all a plot to try and capture Talon. Mm-hmm. And so they, even though Talon has gotten away, they have limited the amount of Chromexin he has, which means he's still weak. Yep. And so now the Leviathans have dispersed and the, the peacekeepers are chasing Talon. Mm-hmm. And that's the story as it continues on for the next several episodes. Yeah. I want to play another John and Dargo are buddies quote. <laughs> this is the gray-shirted John who is on Moya, and it is amazing. He took Winona. Oh, well, at least he left you this lovely jacket. I was wearing that. Oh, come on. Crack a smile, will you? At least he's out of your nose. Hair? Yes, what I meant. At least he's out of your nose hair. My notebook. He... He took my notebook and my pen. The son of a bitch set me up. He set it up so that he is on talent with Aaron. Now, wouldn't you have done exactly the same thing? No, I would not. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. I just... I just hope he's having a good time. No, forget that. I hope he's having a terrible time. I don't know what I hope. He just better be taking care of her. Oh, sure, he's taking care of her. You know what I mean. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's really hard being a rival with yourself because you know exactly why they're doing the things that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And like you can see that 
Dargo's kind of like, but you would have done exactly the same thing. And John's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally would have done. Yeah, Dargo, I, I really would have. <laughs> yeah. But I like that Dargo's trying to, to cheer him up. And of course, I also love Dargo's like sarcasm here. It's like, at least he left you this lovely jacket. <laughs> really? I didn't even read it as like super sarcastic. I read it as him being kind of like, because he's like holding up the jacket and everything. And he was like, but look, the jacket, John. <laughs> but I think I think he's doing it deliberately as, maybe not sar- sarcasm, but, but deliberately as, but at least he left you this thing said in like the joking way as opposed to being serious about it yeah that's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so funny yeah so i i don't know i just love that quote it says so much about both of them it's good then you have poor stark and rigel who are now set up as like i know i just said that dargo and john are the best buddy cops ever but oh my gosh you have rigel and stark who now have to share quarters on Talon, and it is amazing. What do you mean you're not taking us back to Moya? Rigel, we can't go back yet. There will be no contact with Moya until the threat of the retrieval squad is resolved. He's right, Rigel, so we'll just have to accept it gracefully. Frail gracefully. Well, if I must be in prison here, feed me and show me to my quarters. Talon's passenger facility isn't fully developed yet. Food will be tightly rationed, and you two We'll have to share accommodation. Unacceptable. They'll be my side and your side. My side, your side. Don't start. <laughs> Poor Rigel. I actually kind of do feel for him having to share quarters with Stark. <laughs> I just love that Stark immediately goes back to like the my side, your side, my side, your side. Yeah, yeah. So we have our crew split into two. And you know what? I was actually thinking about this and not just from a narrative perspective, but from like a show writing perspective, I think it's also really good because it then lets you have more screen time for the cast because the cast is pretty big at this point. Mm-hmm. And so on Moya, you have on Moya, you have the green shirted John, green gray shirted John, you have Dargo, you have Chiana, Jewel and Pilot. Mm-hmm. And then on Talon, you have Crace, Aaron, Blackshirted John, Rigel, and Stark. And so, you know, you count that up, that's what? I didn't count that up, but that's like 10 people, right? Something like that? Uh, Jewel, Pilot. <laughs> I should have counted, actually. Chiana. Dargo, uh, John. Dargo, John. Uh, yeah, 10 About people. 10 people. And that's a really large ensemble to handle for a 45-minute episode. And we kind of saw that in this episode where Chiana and Pilot didn't really have a lot to do. And even Jewel mm-hmm. had a minimal role. And so by splitting them up, you now have a much smaller ensemble on each on each ship that gives you a lot more of a screen time for all the characters. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah. I mean, and I think there are, as shows grow they do get bigger casts. And I think that there are ways to deal with it. You know, there's the leverage way, which is that you always keep it really streamlined. And even as you introduce other interesting characters, the main core is always just going to be your core that was from the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the other ones are just recurring. Yeah, the other ones are just recurring. And even if they get interesting or even if they get involved, it's like, nope, we're going to cut you, you know? And that's the same for like Stargate also. You know, Stargate got did get a very, very big cast, but it was always going to be the Stargate SG-1 team. Do you know what I mean? Like they were the main characters and everybody else was just somebody else on the show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it didn't really matter if, for example, General Hammond had no lines in the episode, <laughs> you know? And then you have shows like Buffy where towards the end it was just getting unwieldy yeah you know like so large where even main characters on the show would have like one or two lines an episode just because the cast was so big and so you have to appreciate what what farscape does here which is they're like okay now we've got a much larger cast and we're gonna try and make sure that we still have interesting plots and but at the same time we're still able to give attention to everybody yeah Yeah, and i and it's something we'll get to watch over the next several episodes yeah. So what would you give this episode? I think this one's a three. It's another very solid, average, middle of the road episode that I quite enjoy. I like it a lot. 
But at the same time, like the main episode plot is kind of generic, as we said, and it's mostly set up for what's coming. So yeah, three, three and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, it wasn't like a, it wasn't my favorite episode from this season. It wasn't even my favorite necessarily one off of this season because that, that back in time episode was so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, On Wardrobe Watch, um, we obviously have one John wearing a green gray shirt with buttons. I didn't notice the buttons, but apparently there's buttons. And then we have Erin in her tank top, and she's wearing a vest, I think, at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So she's got kind of uh, the tank top she's been wearing in season three, and then she's got like her season two vest over it. And I think everyone else is mostly in what they've been wearing. So those are the only two changes. Yeah, we see a shirtless craze. Oh, Um, that's right. You know, not bad. Not bad looking. (laughs) He's not, you know, John Crichton, but you know, not bad looking. Yeah. Um, let's see. So next week we have green eyed monster, which, yeah, I'm not going to say anything cause I have passionate feelings. About it, so. <laughs> All right. So if you like our show, please rate us and review us on iTunes. That's how other people find us. And we are Farscape Friday podcast on Tumblr, on DreamWith and at Gmail. If you want to get in touch and Farscape Friday on Twitter. All right. See you next week. Bye bye. Bye.